What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here to discuss uh, the preview for the Brown Bears who come into the Breslin Center on Saturday, December 10th in what is finally the respite for this team that's had this gauntlet of Big Ten games and games out in Portland and in the Champions Classic and on an aircraft carrier. So finally coming home and staying home for 37 days. So I don't even, these guys are going to probably be be excited to head out into the road in mid-January to get out of East Lansing. And maybe get away from the snow, maybe. Depends where they're going. Uh, before we start, I just want to go over a couple of things, some housekeeping. I want to thank all the people who've been supporting the show. What you've done has been really amazing and it's allowed us to do a lot of things that I don't even think I had anticipated doing uh, when joining the show in the spring. Uh, but we've we've been getting one-time gifts. We got another one uh, from Matt Hemmel, Hemmelgarn uh, via Venmo. And we have a new patron on the Draymond Green level, Jim L. Thanks so much for joining. And you join the ranks of Mark Reynolds, Adam Walzak, Dan Rankin, uh, Denny Robinson, and James Bonton. My handwriting is terrible. I also want to thank uh, Mateen Cleaves level supporters, Jason Yeager, Brian O'Donnell, and Chad Hickey. Uh, thanks so much for your support. That obviously qualifies you for a t-shirt. We also have people at the Scott Skiles patron level too. And thanks to everyone who's been supporting the show. And to the to the point about T-shirts, our T-shirt order, and I realize this show is coming out late on Thursday, early Friday. We're going to try and get a T-shirt order in by noon Friday or noonish. Uh, so if you want to try and still get in and get a T-shirt, it's really cool. You can go to the Final Force on the Schedule dot com, uh, go to slash merchandise, or just if you go to the website and then at the very top, you can just select the merchandise in the little um, hamburger menu. Uh, then you can just you can contribute via um, PayPal or Venmo, and we'll get that T-shirt order in. We're hoping to get it out by Christmas. We have no idea as far as you know how long it takes to print, how long it takes to ship, etc. But it's a great way to support the show and to show off some pretty cool Spartan gear. So it's a nice and it's a high quality T-shirt. And I think that we should we should let people know Friday at noon doesn't mean oh you can't get a T-shirt. It just means we're doing an initial order cutoff at that point. Um, we encourage you, if you're coming to this after that deadline, you take a look at it, you want to own one, by all means, uh, go ahead and order. Um, it's just we we can't, um, it won't be part of this first batch. That's the best way to put it. But yeah, it's right. not something we're planning on taking away and it's, you know, limited edition and that's it. So, um just for the record. And we've been, and we've been really thrilled, honestly, with the, um, with the response. 
it's been um, it's been very gratifying. Oh yeah. So thanks to everybody. Yeah, and way more than we we thought. And and yeah, thanks. And it's really cool. I mean, no, I mentioned in the interview with Garland is just all the 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 breadth of the fan base for the Michigan State right. Spartans. It is huge. I mean, it's all over the country, New Mexico. I mean, from from coast to coast, from north to south, it's uh, pretty impressive. I I thought for sure most of the new orders would come from Michigan, and really the majority have been outside Michigan, which is really kind of cool, just seeing all the different places uh, people. And maybe it's just because you can't get as much stuff, so it's kind of a neat thing. That could be it, but it's, yeah, I mean, look, we know this. It's um, And this is true, I think, of, athletics from this state in general even at the professional level the michigan uh diaspora is is wide <laughs> yeah. right and so it's it's not a surprise to me and i i could speak to this from some level of personal experience during the the years of my life where i've lived outside the area um it, it might get even stronger your connection yeah, because sure. because it's harder you know yeah. And it's a, it's something that draws you, you know, it's just like when you leave your home country, right? It's so your, your one link back to, to the, the motherland or whatever. Right. And so, exactly. Yeah. So, so anyway, uh, plenty of time to get t-shirts again, if you miss this order, we will have another one. And how often? Not sure. Probably not till January, but I don't know. I guess it depends on how many we get and we'll, we'll kind of keep moving them out as soon as we get them at reasonable size orders, I suppose. But so again, you can go to Patreon and you can become a monthly donor to either join, just get the recognition, or you can just support the show. You can also go to the Cleves level, and you can get a T-shirt uh, that's part of the part of the deal. Also, the Mac Johnson level is available. So, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, thousands of Spartan fans listen to this show. If you want to advertise or reach out to those fans, or you know, send a message, whatever, uh, just get a hold of me, and you can be, get a hold of me at Eric at tffinots.com, and we can just have a conversation, see what you want to do. All right. So now we got that out of the way. Let's talk about the Brown Bears, the Ivy League team coming in. Uh, they're 6-4 and four on the season. Uh, just came off a one-point upset, however, over Rhode Island. They were picked six out of the eight teams in the Ivy League in the preseason poll, and they're ranked 221st in Ken Palm overall. Offensively, they're not very good. They're 300th, but they're not a terrible shooting team, 155th in threes and 123rd in twos, which means they're really bad with turnovers. And they don't def- offensive rebound either, so they're 280th in both of those uh, those categories. And the free sh- free throw shooting is almost as on par with mine. They're 55.8 percent, <laughs> uh, which is second to last in the entire nation, which is saying something. Yeah, they actually get there. It's also worth noting they actually get there a decent amount. I think they're in the maybe 160s or 170s in free throw attempts as a percentage of, you know, overall possessions. Um, so that's even more troubling. <laughs> yeah. When it's part of your offense and you can't convert on those things, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so defensively they're better. They're 141st overall, which is not great, but not terrible for a team coming in, uh, against uh, power five. Uh, they're 170th against threes and 266th against twos. But they do a great job defensive rebounding. They're actually number one. And so the offensive rebounding rates for opponents. That's in the, that's in the country. Right, in the country. The offensive rebounding number rate one of, in the country. of opponents is only 18.3%. And so, you know, we yeah, when we talk look at offensive low. rebounding, yeah, we're like, you know, a good number for Michigan State's like 30 to 40% is what you really hope for. Right. And so 18 is would be terrible. I don't think we've had a game that bad. Um, 
They force turnovers too. They're number 58th and 77th in steals. The coach is in his 10th year. And uh, as we'll find out later, the reason they're coming in is I th- because I, one of their um, players is the son of one of the coaches. So I'm, that's, I think, usually what there's usually a connection where these, these schools come in. Yeah. Um, you know, it's th- their head coach has been there for 10 years. He played there. He was actually part graduated in 04. He was part of the winningest class in Brown history, but, um, you know, he's done a nice job there because that's not an easy place to win. And I don't just mean, oh, they're an Ivy league school. I mean, it's not an easy place to win historically in the Ivy league, right? Yeah. You know, the, the dominant schools traditionally in that league have been Penn and Princeton. And, uh, more recently, I think Yale has kind of ascended to that level as well. The last decade or so since James Jones has been there. Um, but, uh, but Brown's just historically never been a factor mm-hmm. in the Ivy. So the fact that he's made them competitive is, um, you know, is, is a sign of something. It's a sign of some progress. They were picked sixth. Ivy is an eight team league, of course. So not expected to contend for that automatic bid by any means, but, you know, competitive, um, and they're six and four, just like MSU is, uh, but they're coming off an upset win over Rhode Island, a home state win. I, I don't think they're, they're used to beating Rhode Island very often. And they beat <laughs> Rhode Island in their last game by a point, which I believe I'd have to, I'd have to look at it, double check. I think that was also last night. Yeah. I'll, t- um, I'll take a look, but yeah, okay. I don't know if you can take a look, but if that's true, that's something that's worth noting that at, at least for MSU, as opposed to the last several games they've played, they won't have a rest advantage. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, you know, it, they've, they've had a, a decent start for, uh, for them relative to expectations and, you know, all of that. So I think that, uh, I think that's what we're looking at. You know, Izzo, I saw Tom Izzo's, um, post practice, uh, um, press conference today and he was making the point that you know you have to be careful some of this is coach speak but i don't think entirely so it's like you know this was scheduled you know they call it a bye game for a reason b-u-i and, uh <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah not it B-Y-E. was last night the seventh so they played but yeah. okay so that's good but um but you know he said that this is supposed to be the easy game because even the remaining two Oakland. Hey, we know how tricky that can be. Mm-hmm. And Buffalo has been a very, very good program in the Mac for the last several years, really since they joined that conference. So the last decade or so. Um, so even these games and our Brown, you know, supposed to be the easy one. Well, okay. They're coming off a win over an a 10 school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, you know, it's, easier than what they've been facing. Yes. We won't, we won't poor mouth it, but, um, still a challenge in some ways. And Michigan state's going to have to continue to find a reservoir of energy and sharpness and focus and, and play well. Yeah. Well, and yeah, Brown is coming off a five game win streak now. So there will be a challenge for sure. And for Michigan state, obviously the tenor of this game is changed entirely after that Penn state game heading into that game. It was, you know, things look kind of bleak and I, maybe bleak is the wrong word, but certainly didn't look so good. And they seemed very dysfunctional. They had, they struggled against Northwestern defensively. 
And a lot of those seems, things seem to kind of fix themselves, especially with the second half against Penn State. And, you know, we were talking to Coach Garland. He really pointed out that at least their gap responsibilities, they weren't overhelping. They were playing much sounder defense, and that was the yeah. difference in the game. They they were executing the game plan, and they weren't doing that in the first half, and that was really the the, the difference. And that made the offense click better too, I think, just in general. So, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So that's what we got. That's what we have coming up against Brown. But again, it's to your point, this is not a team that you can just you know, roll a ball out and then just go ahead and just win by 30. You know, no, it's and, and honestly, there probably aren't many teams out there for whom that would be the case right now. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the second half was great to see, but you know, we're not going to delude ourselves. And, and Tom Izzo certainly isn't. Oh, they're not nearly where they need to be or want to be. They being Michigan state, you know, we know that at either end, there's still a ton of work to do. And the nice thing about this game is I think that, um, while Brown is obviously not a great team by any stretch, again, we're not going to build them up to be something they're not. They, there are some things that they do well that I think pose areas for growth for Michigan state, you know, yeah. we talked about it. They're the number one defensive rebounding team in the country. And that's really impressive to me in part because they're not big at all. You know, they're two starting, they, they play two true bigs, quote unquote, true, both of whom are six, eight, and neither one of them's a bruiser. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Joey Hauser would be the biggest guy on their roster. Yeah. Or in their playing group, at least. Uh, pretty easily, as a matter of fact. So, you know, you, you you look at it from that perspective, that offensive rebounding, which we're going to come back to. We talked about it with Coach Garland last night. That's a that's an area where this Michigan State team has a lot of improving to do. A lot. Um, I think the fact that Brown has been pretty good at forcing turnovers is an area that it's good to see Michigan State get tested. Now, I think they've We've been talking about it for a while. I think they've really improved in that area. It's so far, this is the best ball valuing team we've seen at MSU in a long time. Yeah. But you want to continue to get tested. And I think Brown has the capability of testing them in that area. So even if you think, well, okay, this should be a double digit win and, you know, pretty easy, there's still areas in which I think Michigan State has an opportunity to work on itself and maybe demonstrate some growth. Yeah, absolutely. So you would not, you would not characterize Brown as a tomato can. Well, yeah, <laughs> I would, I would, but, but that that's, that's again, look, if we're talking about a, a game that goes down to the wire here, we're all going to be very disappointed. I mean, let's not, let's not lie about it, <laughs> Okay. but, but I do think, you know, Michigan State could win a game by 15 points against a team like this and still not get anything done on the offensive boards, have some turnover problems. That's what you don't want to see. You want to see them play well, you know, in those in those areas. So I think that's how I'm viewing it. No, I'll be very disappointed if this is tight. Yeah. OK, well, let's move on to the starters for the Brown Bears. Uh, we'll start with Paxson Wojcik, who is the son of Doug Wojcik, who is assistant coach for Michigan State. And I'm almost certain that's mostly why they this game ended up getting scheduled. He's a 6'5 yeah. senior uh and he's the uh he's averaging 12.8 points a game and 6.8 rebounds per game, shooting 45, 36 and 58 
And I actually watched him play this summer because he was playing at uh, Moneyball. Moneyball. I'm almost certain he was there uh, because yeah. I remember what did you What did you think? Well, I I can't tell you I was scouting him. But I I don't okay. remember. There's he didn't stand out to me. He wasn't uh, special. Well, okay. I take that back. He actually played really hard. He was actually a pretty good player. Uh, yeah, I do yeah. remember that that bit about it. But I guess you know you kind of expect sort of smart play from coach's son. So that's kind of how he played. Yeah. So he started his career out at Loyola of Chicago. Played his first two years there. He transferred um, last year. So he was on that team um, in the COVID year that, um, how far did they get? Sweet 16 or Elite Eight? The team that beat Illinois. I think they, the and I think that was their last uh, win. The last Porter Moser team. So he was on that team. Uh, and then he transferred last year to Brown. Had a, he was a third leading scorer last year. This year he's their, their second leading scorer, at least to date. Um, I'm just, and, and I have, asked no one about this i'm pulling it completely out of my rear end but i do wonder because he's in his fourth year of eligibility i wonder if maybe there might be a possibility that he would consider doing um a fifth year as something you know maybe a preferred walk-on or if they have an extra scholarship slot that's not being used next year at Michigan State. And the oh. reason I raise it is the thing you like is he's got offensive capability. I like that rebounding number two, which tells you something about toughness and at any level and mm-hmm. how hard he plays, right? Yep. For a six five guard to be averaging almost seven boards a night is impressive. But um the fact that he can shoot is interesting to me. I have again, I that is pure speculation on my part. Maybe he doesn't <laughs> ever want to play for his dad. I don't know. Um, but he was also, he was a guy, um, who played, uh, prep school ball. I believe he was on the La Lu team at the same time. Jaron Jackson was, I think, um, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure they played together, um, for a period of time. So anyway, good player for this, you know, for that level, he's one of their key guys for sure. And he's a guy Michigan state's going to have to be cognizant of as a shooter. He's also really their only guard, their only player who's got a positive assist to turnover ratio. <laughs> yeah, he has 27 assists on the season. Um, so and <clears throat> next starter is Keno Lilly Jr., a six-foot sophomore. He leads the team in scoring at 15.9 points a game on 44, 39, and 80 shooting. And so, you know, he takes over half his shots from three, and he was the Ivy League Rookie of the Year last year. Yeah, and he's building on that. I mean, having a very good year offensively, um, you know, again, he's, it's so you see this often at this level where he's point guard sized, but he doesn't really have a point guard's game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's a scorer, and and that's usually that's what happens. If a guy is like six foot five eleven six one, but they don't really have a point guard game, but they have an ability to put the ball in the basket those kind of guys tend to end up at this level as opposed to, you know, high majors or a larger, you know, higher level mid major. Um, and I think he's an example of that, but it, you're talking about how that projects across the course of an entire season, blah, blah, blah. The reality is in a one game scenario, guys like that can absolutely kill you. If sure. you're a card. Yeah. So um, that's going to be Michigan state's challenge is to guard him. 
Right. And, you know, it, in games like this, I think the one thing you don't want to do is allow anyone to get comfortable, right? And that's uh, because then some weird stuff can happen to you, and that's where upsets happen. Well, I mean, <laughs> Coach Garland talked about it in our Penn yeah, State right. post game, right? That not specific to this game, but just in general, that when you see up, and it's, it's well known, it's nothing new, when you see upsets in this kind of game, almost always the equation is going to involve the weaker team hitting a lot of threes. And so for Michigan state, this is a, not a great three pointing shoot three point shooting team, but they've got enough weapons that they need to be. um, They need to be locked in on that because I don't think, I don't think Brown's going to beat them by going to the rim or on post-ups. Right. So, you know, that that's, that's really where your defense needs to be oriented. So next starter is Nana Usu Anane. He's a 6'8", 220-pound sophomore, averaging 10 points a game and 7.3 rebounds a game, shooting 43, 17, and 53. Yeah, and, and again, they don't have a, they don't have much size here, but um, you know, this is uh, this is their their wing. You know, their uh, um, I'm sorry, which guy? I, I skipped. I, I skipped. Uh, yeah, I skipped ahead to Anane. Okay, so this kid, we'll just finish up there. Yeah. So he's one of their post players. Yes. And he's actually been pretty effective. Um, but again, post in this team, 6'8", 220, that's not, yeah. you know, that's not exactly uh, Zach Eady. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and the, the nice thing here, at least in terms of what it's going to put guys like Madi and, and Joey Hauser under, is unlike some other guys we've seen, that they faced this year already. These guys, their posts aren't deep shooting threats. Right. Yeah. 17% from three. Yeah. So the guy so, actually skipped the wing is Dan Friday, a six, four junior yeah. from UD Jesuit. Uh, he returned back from injury. He's averaging 8.2 points a game. Not a great shooter, a 54, 25 and 71, uh, but hardly easy. Only one for four from three. Yeah, I, you know, not a not really a shooting threat. So even though he's only six four, he really functions more as a traditional forward, right? Where he's scoring inside the arc. He was a good player at U of D. Um, he was, uh, uh, he was, I believe, he was an all state choice his senior year, um, and uh, you know went to Brown using that Jesuit education <laughs> to uh, uh, to go play for Brown, and you know, so good for him. He's really, he's really. Uh, used basketball to uh, give himself a great, great educational opportunity. And, um, and he's been a good player for them, you know, not great. Certainly, as I said, not a shooting threat, but I've got to believe as, as much as the game was probably what you suggested, that it was a, a Wojcik family affair kind of driving it um, in part. Uh, it's a really nice opportunity for him sure, to come back and play in front of his family. Cause I'm, I'm guessing it's probably I haven't looked to see if they played Michigan or any of the Mac schools, but to get an opportunity to play at Breslin has, has got to be very special for him and his family, I would assume. Sure. Yeah. UD Jesuit. I guess you could say he's good Friday. Uh, yeah. Next be uh, lastly for starters is Kalu Anya, a 6'8", 215-pound freshman, averaging 8.3 points a game, 6.9 rebounds a game, shooting 53 and a blistering 100% from the behind the arc, uh, two for two, and 44% from the line. 
Yeah, again, I, I don't take uh, I don't take that three point shooting number seriously. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think these guys are going to really test MSU. Um, you know, they're post guys, um, but you know, I, again, they're going to be overmatched um, inside by Michigan State physically. But at the same time, we keep coming back to this. This team, on the defensive end at least, has been outstanding in rebounding the basketball. So. They're, that's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for Michigan State to see if they can get it done against an opponent who has really chosen to emphasize that area of the game and has done very, very well. And if we go on to reserves, the Aaron Cooley, 6'5", sophomore wing, averaging 4.7 points a game <clears throat> on 40, 18, and 52 shooting and 2.7 rebounds a game. Yeah, uh, he's. they've had to shuffle their lineups. You mentioned Friday had been hurt, um, so he's only played in half their games. Um, so they've had a couple of other guys kind of step in at different points for the starting lineup, and Cooley's one of them. Um, playing a decent amount of minutes, he's not really a shooting threat, as you would surmise from the numbers you just read, <laughs> yeah. uh, but he'll certainly play. Uh, next, a player who my son will be thrilled to watch play since his favorite car company is Ferrari is Kimo Ferrari, yeah. six foot junior guard playing 22 minutes a game, averaging 3.7 points a game on 33, 33 and 80 shooting and majority of his shots coming from behind the arc. Yeah, my son is that's actually his dream is to go work for Ferrari. He almost wants to take uh, learn Italian so that he can go <laughs> and huh. work for them. Um yeah, this Ferrari is from San Diego, uh, not Roma or Milan. <laughs> um, but uh, it is interesting, you know, a program, any Ivy program, I think, falls into this category to some extent. How, as opposed to, let's say, a lot of other similar, similarly sized schools, so, you know, the lower end of D1, the rosters are usually very national in scope sure. for obvious reasons. Right. They can pull kids from anywhere because they have the opportunity to get an Ivy League education. Uh, but yeah, he's from San Diego. Um, I think 90% of his shots from the floor have come from three. So, you know, that that's what you're going to get with Ferrari. <laughs> you're going to get a lot of bombing. A lot of high octane offense from him. Right. Uh, right. So next would be Malachi Ender. He's a 6'8", 215-pound junior, averaging 3.2 points a game, 2.4 rebounds a game, shooting 56, 38, and 50 in about 14 minutes. Yeah, and so he'd be the one big guy, I guess, that, you know, big in relative terms, but he'd be the one post player that you might have to be a little bit cognizant of as a shooter. Um, but, uh, you know, again, there's nothing dramatic going on here, and he's only playing 14 minutes a game, so... Um, Definitely a, a, a guy who I would expect his impact to be somewhat limited. Sure. Uh, finally, Perry Cowan, a six, uh, six four senior, averaging three points a game on 31, 32, and 14 shooting, uh, playing a little over 12 minutes a game. Yeah, and this is, you know, Brown is uh, not not entirely freshman, but they're not a super, super experienced team when you look at the guys who are playing the heavier amount of minutes. And so having a senior, you know, I'm sure that's where his, what his role is, is to provide some veteran leadership and kind of steady things off the bench when they need it. And then beginning of the five keys of the game. So first is focus. So, you know, this is, again, 
hardly any rest. Fortunately, Brown doesn't have a lot of rest. And uh, but facing a team that everyone knows they should beat and pretty handily, can you come in, come with it? Because I think a lot of people were down and concerned about Michigan State going to Penn State, and I think they felt that, and I'm sure they, you know, they felt it just without even you know the feeling what's going on in the outside with fans. But can they keep that same intensity and focus when they're playing? You know, a lesser than a tomato can, as you like to put it. Yeah, I, I I think that I think that that's correct. That that this is you know a, a, an area where, again, apart from maybe the more um, uh, tangible areas where you think, well, there's a test for MSU. You would think coming off a road win in the Big Ten against an opponent who had been playing well would be um, would reinvigorate this group. You know, that's what you would hope. Mm-hmm. That's what you would think. But they've still got to turn that into positive play. And, you know, I, I would like to think that one win, it, especially in a program like Michigan State's, is not going to be something that's going to get guys, you know, um, heads to expand four <laughs> or five hat sizes. You know, you wouldn't think that. But it is a challenge. You know, something is said in the um, – I, I said post practice press conference, but I don't think it was post and they weren't really even having a practice. They were apparently just going to do a walkthrough tonight. It sounded like, and then they'll practice tomorrow. So they'll get one practice before Brown rolls in. It's look, it's challenging. The only good thing here is as opposed to the last several games, I mentioned this um, Brown is also coming off having played a game the other night and they've got to travel. Yeah. So that's a good thing for Michigan state. They're not facing a team. I think Penn state had been off for eight days. Yeah. Something like that. Notre Dame had a bunch of rest. Northwestern had a bunch of rest. Um, you know, so finally you're getting a team on more or less even, um, you know, even conditions in that way, but it's still something that MSU has to get through. Right. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so that's, that's the that's the challenge to be dealt with here is to deal with it, um, deal with playing an opponent who isn't a Big Ten school, isn't a power five school, not a big name, and and yet still be sharp in terms of your execution of the game plan at both ends. Yeah, no one had this game circled on the calendar except people who were excited about the color brown. Uh, so the right. number two key to the game would be offensive rebounding. We mentioned already that. Brown is the best defensive rebounding team in the country, despite not being giant. Uh, so can Michigan State, you know, get in, get it to the boards because they have not been super successful this season so far. No, but it, it what it what it shows you, and you will you will see this sometimes from smaller teams. You can you can still be an effective defensive rebounding team at times if there's a if there's a commitment, you know, and. As, as far as MSU and the offensive boards, this was to me, and I thought Mike Garland had a ton of interesting things to say in our, our post game the other night, but maybe one of the most important ones or eye-opening ones to me was our discussion about offensive rebounding of Michigan State because to my eyes, and I think I've even seen it or said it on the podcast previously, that oftentimes it was looking to me as if Michigan State was perhaps making a strategic choice not to crash the way they normally do. And the reason I say that is when you see a Michigan state shot go up 
and there's no other Michigan State jersey in your television picture, <laughs> yeah, which has been the case a lot this year. Um, you know, that kind of tells you, well, they're not going for the boards. And Mike Garland says, absolutely not. That's something it's still as much a part of the, what the program wants to do as it's ever been. It's something he thinks they're going to work at and they're going to try to get better. So I take that to the bank. Uh, so this game presents a challenge and an opportunity. You're playing a team, whatever their size is or isn't, uh, they're number one in the country thus far in terms of defensive rebounding. Right. So that tells you that they've got guys who can do it and they're playing in a way that allows them to do it. They're emphasizing that you don't get, you don't function at that level if you're not doing those things. So that's a real challenge for Michigan state. Can they impose their will on the glass against a team that's been really, really good in that area, you know, and we'll see, but if, if, it, if, you know, and again, assuming that, that, that coach Garland is correct. And I do, um, then that says that that's an area that Michigan state just has not been performing very well in Yeah, thus far. And some of it, as we discussed is personnel related, you know, Jaden Akins, Malik call are two guys you expect to be among your better offensive rebounders and they haven't been in there very much. Right. So you're missing that. But, um, even that said, you'd have to say Michigan state by any program standards has been a little bit subpar by Michigan state standards, massively. So, yeah, we'd almost have to look at the splits to see what they were like when both those players were in, because, you know, even though they may not be gathering tons of rebounds themselves, just the extra pressure they're exerting may allow opportunities for, you know, Hauser to get an offensive rebound or someone else too. Right. As I recall, and I haven't gone back to check the stats, but I believe in those games against Gonzaga and Kentucky and Villanova, they were better than they've been lately, which stands to reason. Yeah. But, but I don't think we haven't yet seen a game where Michigan state went out and, you know, grabbed 17 offensive rebounds that they haven't come close to that kind of performance. You yeah. know, I, I can't even recall double digits, but maybe it was early this year. I'm not sure. I think they have in some of those early games they might yeah, have, right. but not lately. Sure, yeah. I think they had six last night, right? So. Yeah, exactly. Not a whole lot last night. Uh, so next key to the game is guarding the arc, similar to the Penn State game. You know, Brown's not Penn State, but they do shoot a lot uh, from outside, and they make a decent amount too, and that certainly is a recipe for an upset if you're a small team coming in. Well, yeah, and look, stylistically, they're not Penn State. They're, they're not shooting 40% from three, and they don't take more than half their shots from three. But in a one-game scenario like this, they might take more than half their shots from three <laughs> right. if you let them. So the key for Michigan State starts with what we always talk about. It's about preventing the attempts. That's what you want to do. You don't want to give them good looks. You know, Giving them good looks is a surefire way to open the door to a lesser team hanging around. Yes. And that's just, that's what you don't want if you're MSU. So, um, that's the, that's the situation that, that they're in here. And I think that's why the game plan against any team like this, any opponent like this, and it'll probably be true to, you know, uh, a greater or lesser extent with the games against Oakland and Buffalo as well, by the way, I think the game plan starts with hold them down from three. 
make it a more conventional game, right? Absolutely. And you saw that with Penn State, right? That was a great example where Penn State was seven of uh, 18, I think, in the first half. And then right. the second half, they only got nine off. And I think, you know, two were sort of at the end of the game when they were just, you know, desperate for anything. But they were limited not only in their success, but also just their attempts. And that was mainly just because they weren't even given any space to get a shot off. You know, we didn't spend really any time zeroing in on this last night, but I'll mention it now. I think one of the more remarkable stats from that game was Penn State has a kid, Andrew Funk, who's a a transfer and has been very, very good this year. He came into that game averaging 11 points a night. I think he was shooting 38 or 39. That's right, 39. And he takes wild shots, (laughs) but again, he gets a lot of them to go. Last night, two points, 0 for 3 from 3. Now, the 0 for part's great, but the three attempts is the part I was really zeroed in on because that means they did a great job of taking him away because that kid will take a shot that that's even a sliver open. He will, he will rise and fire. And so the fact that he didn't get that many shots off tells me Michigan state really, really guarded him well. And they've done that in the past. You know, I go back to um, the Purdue game last year that MSU won at Breslin. I know I brought that up in our conversation with coach Garland. Uh, they did a similar thing to uh, Stefanovic. Yeah. Purdue's three points. You're, you're, you probably can't take away everybody over 40 minutes, but if you can take away a key guy that helps and Michigan state did that with funk. And so you're in this game. Well, their two starting guards are the guys you want to kind of load up on. Yeah. Right. And so you'd hope that you take at least one of them away, not just in terms of success rate, but even in terms of attempts, that's what you're trying to do. And I think, you know, along those lines of guarding the arc, I think the one development, and we didn't discuss it, I don't think last night with coach Garland is the development of Pierre Brooks. I mean, he, he seemed to really not get lost as much as, uh, and he was, you know, he was, he was better. And, and, uh, I agree with that. And I think, you know, that's encouraging because Penn state is the kind of team that you would worry about a little with him. You know, coach Garland was mentioning that in the first half, they got some back cuts on MSU. And I think they run good stuff when I've watched them in other games, not just last night. Um, you know, that's a, that's a well-drilled team. That's a well-coached team. And they're really, you you can tell by watching them, that's far from a perfect roster, right? (laughs) That's not the way you draw it up or construct it, but man, they're making about as much as they can out of an imperfect group. And so that's, you know, the fact that Pierre's going to have to be chasing around guards, like real guards, most of the time, um, is a challenge for him, but I agree with you. I think he held up pretty well. So the fourth key to the game is AJ Hogard. He had a good game. I mean, the last game was great against Penn state. I think there's not much you could criticize him with in that game. The, uh, the game before Northwestern he had to come off the bench and that seemed to sort of wake him up and he played a pretty solid game as well. You know, can he continue and continue? And I think, you know, I still think there's a lot more that we can see from him. And I think that's definitely what coach Garland was mentioning too. I think that leadership sort of thing, he's just kind of, just starting to discover how to, how to lead, how to be a better teammate. Yeah. And, and, you know, Izzo talked about it again in today's press conference. Um, he said how they, you know, they've, 
what he was emphasizing, which is an interesting thing, is and and this gets back to things that we've we maybe haven't specified, but we've at least semi cryptically referred to because I'd been told this, and you could see it if you watched them. One of the problems with AJ is, you know, he's got a voice. He's always had a voice, but there was a feeling within the program that he had trouble taking responsibility for his own shortcomings. So when a mistake was made, he was a guy who was looking to point at somebody else more often than he should be rather than taking it on himself and saying, all right, that's my fault. And then do something about it. You know, um, they think that's changing. They think that's changing. And I know some people got upset about the way he interacted with Jackson Kohler last night um, at one point in the game. But I, I got to be honest, I didn't see it that way. Um, I, I liked seeing that from him. You know, you don't like anybody to be embarrassed, but that's sometimes that's teaching, you know. And when a teammate's the one holding you accountable, that's going to sink in more deeply sometimes, hopefully most of the time than it would when a coach says it, you know? So I wasn't bothered by that. Um, but that's, that's maybe where AJ is starting to really turn the corner and he's got to continue to do it is having that mindset of, okay, you're, you're a quarterback. You're our leader. One of our leaders, you're the responsibilities on you not even just for your own mistakes, but for how this team plays. I mean, when you think about the guys that have been great for Michigan state at that position that, you know, to me, Mateen Cleaves, the gold standard yeah. in that way, especially like that guy, his only, only thing he cared about was getting the win. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't get the win, you know, he took it on himself and, and that's where AJ's got to get to. And it, it feels like Izzo believes that he's making progress. there. still got a ways to go. So there's all that. In, let's call that the uh, intangible stuff. <laughs> yeah. The tangible stuff, Mike Garland, again, we keep going back to that, but it's because he said so much, uh, so many important things, guy. I thought. <laughs> yeah, knows what he's talking <laughs> about, right? Imagine that. The playing off two feet thing which I think is something it's a really, really simple, but a really important part of it with a lot of guys, not just him, but specifically him. And it's something everybody listening to this should be watching for the rest of the way. If you looked at that game last night, AJ was balanced when he would get into the lane. It wasn't some kamikaze drive where he's going off on one foot jump and he's out of control and he crashes into somebody. It's where he gets most of his offensive fouls, as Coach Garland pointed out. Instead, he would get into the lane, playing off two feet. He's got a solid base. He's under control. He's balanced. And you're a, you're much more of a weapon that way. Certainly somebody with his physical tools is. So I think that's something to watch for. Is he under control and balanced in terms of how he's playing? And look, I mean, he's he's a critical guy for Michigan State. There's no getting around it. For this team to be competitive in the Big Ten, A.J. Hogard's got to be good. And it doesn't mean they need 23 points every night out of him. But he's got to be right there somewhere in the center of everything that's happening offensively and then defensively 
He's got to be a presence both on and off the ball. And it's off the ball where he's had some issues this year. Izzo talked about that today as well. They think he's getting better. That's got to continue. So you need to have consistency in the areas in which he's been better the last two games. Right. And I think this almost relates back to the first key of focus. Like if, can he maintain that focus in a game that's not as absolutely, you know, seen as as important, right? A non Big Ten game, a game you should easily win. Does he bring it and just like just pummel this team and just punish them and just finish them off, right? I just want to see them stomp someone, someone, because I I want to see if that team has it in them. No, what you don't want from AJ in this game is you don't want him trying to make highlight real plays. Yeah, you know, you don't want to see him trying to be spectacular or necessarily bring the crowd out of their feet. Just play smart, solid, controlled basketball, creating opportunities for yourself and for your teammates. And if he does that much, we're going to be happy with the results. Right. And the fifth key to the game in some ways relates to AJ too, just because he's a point guard, but is tempo. And can Michigan State get going as far with the break? Haven't had a lot of that. You know, part of it's, I suppose, personnel. Part of it's, you know, how many people we got, how tired people are, but... You know, can you get moving against Brown, who plays semi-fast, right? So this may be an opportunity to see some stuff. Yeah, they're in the top 100 in terms of their offensive tempo. I think they were 82nd. So that tells you they, they, they don't want to really slow it down. Now, again, an individual game like this for them, they might come in saying, hey, I know we like to play kind of fast, but we can't do that against Michigan State, so let's slow it yeah. down. That's always possible. But assuming they play something close to their normal game, um, you hope that would create some opportunities. Now, I think what's been tough for Michigan State is you've got these lineup combinations where, you know, and it's no knock on these guys. But if you're playing Trey Holloman and Jason White on your wing, which they have at certain points in those combinations, mm-hmm. Those are not guys who I expect to be well-drilled in the art of running Michigan State's transition (laughs) game on the way, you know? And so you can't expect that they're going to function, you know, the way that you hope, you know, Jay Nakins and Pierre Brooks. I mean, even for those guys, it's a challenge because they're only sophomores. Malik Hall as a senior when he's healthy, but, you know, I think has been pretty good Mm -hmm. in that way, but he's also doing it in a new position. So it's not optimal for MSU in some ways, what they've got, but you you need to hope that we see more signs They're they're very soon going to be getting to a point in the season where you just don't expect that big 10 opponents are going to give them very much, you know? So when you've got a chance to work on it and maybe get some better habits established, that's what you want to see MSU do. So going to the game, Michigan State is a 16-point favorite uh, per Ken Palm. Uh, I think this is a game which I'm really hoping to enjoy my ice cream sandwich and not have to actually agonize over the game. I obviously hope again that the heckler's not behind me. I don't know that I could get lucky two games in a row. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think for this game overall? Well, think about this. Um, Michigan State has had two games that weren't really coming down to the last minute. <laughs> Out of 10, Uh, the opener gets Northern Arizona. And then, um, you know, on the bad side, the Alabama game, which was they were kind of out of it 
uh, and didn't really go down to the wire in terms of pushing Alabama in that game. Other than that, everything's been played in that pocket where somehow, some way, the last minute, minute and change, it's been a struggle. You'd hope we don't see that here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You'd hope that what what you want is a clean, focused game where they play hard, play reasonably well, get guys some time. I mean, wouldn't it be great in this game to have an opportunity for Jackson Kohler and Carson Cooper to get substantial minutes? Yeah. You know, that would be great. Or Trey Holloman, get him maybe an extra turn or so at the point um, in this game. You know, that's what you hope these games give you the opportunity to do. But it only gets there if Michigan State comes out right out of the chute and is focused and locked in and plays well. Maybe, dare I say, Stephen Izzo has an opportunity to score before the end of the Right. You want to see the Stephen Izzo... Davis Smith, Nick Sanders cameos. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things I saw in the reporting today is that Doug Wojcik, you know, Paxson Wojcik's father, is actually doing the scouting report for Brown, which, you know, maybe it's not that surprising. He certainly knows how his son plays. Do you think, what do you think that's like to, to game plan against your son and his team? I, do, I honestly can't even can't even begin to speculate. I mean, it's, it's gotta be weird. It's gotta be weird. And it's certainly not something many fathers in the coaching profession go through because we know, you know, the vast majority of the time your kids playing for you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. That's usually the way it goes. Um, not always, but usually. So yeah, it's gotta be a very, very strange feeling for him, but I think, you know, most guys, it would seem to me, go into that that line of work. He's not going to be pulling any punches. No, no. You know, and the fact is he's one of their best players and one of their biggest weapons. So if he's putting him near the top of the scouting report, it's it's actually for a justifiable good reason. So, yeah, it's got to be strange. I, I, I hear you there. Well, the game is Saturday afternoon and uh We'll be there. We'll have our post-game show afterwards. Again, I want to remind you, if you're interested in a t-shirt to support the show, you can go to thefinalforceontheschedule.com slash merchandise, or just you know, slash, go to the website. You can see the merchandise tag up there at the top. Try and get them in by Friday, December 9th, in uh, by noon. If not, we'll just get that out for the next batch of order, whenever that goes. Uh, also, if you've not yet rated the show or left a written review on your podcast player, please do so. It's very helpful. And... You know, the support the show has gotten both financially through, you know, what you guys have given or on the you know, podcast players, the fact that we're occasionally ranked the top 50 or even top 30 uh, basketball podcasts of all basketball podcasts in America is really, you know, it's humbling. It's really great that we've we've created such a great thing here. And so anyway, I'd like you to try and keep that going. We appreciate it a ton. It lets us branch out and do some cool content. I do want to tease a little bit that we are going to have Thomas Kelly, assistant coach on the show. Uh, so, you know, I guess we're, we've now got our, our in with the coaches here, Rod. So we're going to try and get Thomas Kelly on. I'm not sure when uh, we still have to schedule that, but it, I would think it'd be sometime in this break when we're not too busy with games right now. So uh, we're going to, we're going to enjoy our break as well. <laughs> we're, not, we're not recording four or five times a week, but we're going to try and get Thomas Kelly on <laughs> a time between his recruiting or whatever. And it's uh it's it's obviously um you know these are 
we hope great listening experiences for for you guys and you know the feedback we've already gotten on on the episode we just did with mike garland has been outstanding um and it should be because i think he was i think he was really really great in terms of uh the information he was providing and and uh kind of the the insight into different areas of the program and how it operates and and even to the level of what happened in that game against penn state um and and now you know it looks like we're going to have a current member of the coaching staff on, and uh, it's we hope it's it's um, interesting, informative for you guys. I know it's exciting for us. It, it feels like uh, you know the whole endeavor, which which started truthfully um, as just an of an excuse to do something I wanted to do. <laughs> you know, Sam, who co-created this with me way back. Um, approached me and asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, yes. And the idea initially was, you know, nothing more complicated than, uh, two guys who, um, are, are pretty interested in this topic, Michigan state basketball, and like to think they know a thing or two about it, um, just to get together and talk about it. And it's through his help and, um, and cam in the interim and, and now with Eric, where it's really, kind of taking on uh has risen to another level you know i i think it's it's pretty amazing for me to think about how far it's come in this period of time that we've gone from where we started to you know the point that we've we've just had a, a very recent member of the coaching staff and are about to have a current member of the coaching staff uh guesting with us that's um uh that's pretty amazing and uh you know, just want to thank all of you guys for supporting it over the years. You make it worth doing. And um, we hope you enjoy it because we're we're planning on continuing to improve at all levels of what we're doing here. Yeah. And I, and I would say the, the great thing about this show that I've always enjoyed is, is always great content. And, and it, you get things here on this show that you don't get elsewhere. Like, you know, when we have Coach Garland on, we're not asking like, basic questions, you know, you're asking, he's talking about gap zone prevent, you know, prevent and strategies and five out and, and playing off two feet, all sorts of things you don't really ever get if you, you read a column or something, a basic you know, thing about the game. And so that's what, I mean, that's what I want to know. Like, you know, what is it like behind the scenes and sort of those, those questions you rarely ever hear answered. And so I hope, you know, if you have any, obviously ideas, you things you want us to ask coach Kelly, you're certainly welcome to pass them along to me too. But I hope we give you just kind of some unique stuff that you're not going to get elsewhere, that you get a deeper insight into the game than maybe you hadn't even, you know, didn't even recognize was there. And on that note, I guess we'll uh, wrap it up. And until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail, the ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.